0: This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. The great Barbara Ehrenreich has died a towering intellectual journalist and thinker. She was the author of numerous groundbreaking books about the US economy, healthcare, the wellness industry, feminism, and much more. She was best known for her 2001 book, Nickel and Dimed, on not getting by in America, which investigated the real impacts of Clinton's 1996 welfare reform act and went on to become a bestseller. As part of her research for the book, she went undercover to work as a waitress in order to see firsthand what it was like to try to financially survive on a full, full-time on a low-wage job in the U.S. She later wrote a companion book, Bait and Switch. Ehrenreich founded the Economic Hardship Reporting Project. She was an honorary co-chair of the Democratic Socialists of America. She also served on the Normal Board of Directors and the Institute for Policy Studies Board of Directors and the editorial board of The Nation magazine. She died on September 1st at the age of 81. In 2009, just as the Great Recession was in full swing, Ehrenreich wrote another seminal book, Bright-Sided, How Positive Thinking is Undermining America. I had the honor of interviewing her by phone about it, and today we'll replay that interview. You know, there's
1: a whole industry in the United States that's got an investment in this idea that if you just think positively, if you expect everything to turn out all right, if you're optimistic and cheerful and upbeat, everything will be all right. And that's, a, that's an industry, you mentioned the, the coaches, the motivational speakers, the um. Uh, inspirational posters to put up on the office walls uh, there's the um, the mega church phenomenon the mega churches are not about Christianity the mega churches are about how you can prosper because God wants you to be rich uh, and then there's the whole positive psychology uh, um, movement they call themselves in academia uh, to 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 you know completely um, Back up this idea that just being optimistic and everything will make things come out all right.
2: How much of the ideology uh, of Christian right wing thought is, uh, in fact, based uh, and also linked to this issue of positive thinking? And we don't think about it as connected to these mega churches.
1: Well, the mega churches are not the same as the Christian right. The Christian right, uh, in, which is sort of hard line. Uh, fire and brimstone there are you know the sinners, the homosexuals, the feminists, whatever will be punished in hell that that has really uh, been um, eclipsed to a certain extent by the mega church phenomenon where the idea is that church should not be disturbing that you know you don 't want to have a negative message at church, so that 's why you won 't even find a cross a single cross on the wall. Because it might
2: conjure up uh, images of crucifixion?
1: Exactly. And what a downer that would be, right?
2: Hmm.
1: So you don't see, you know, the biggest megachurch in America has no images of Jesus or crosses uh, anywhere except in the gift shop.
2: And how is the the scourge of uh, positive thinking, um, how is that linked to our current economic crisis as well where so many of the people who should have known better just didn't see it coming?
1: Because you know, American corporate culture has been saturated with this positive thinking ideology, uh, especially in the 90s and this decade. It just grew and grew and grew. Um, it grew uh, because corporations needed a way to manage downsizing, which really began in the 1980s. And so that that was their message. You're getting eliminated. You're getting, re- you know, you're reduction in force. But it's a really an opportunity for you. It's a great thing. You've got to look at this positively. Don't complain. Don't be a whiner. You're not a victim, etc. And also the other, the other purpose of this in corporate America has been to extract more work from those who survive layoffs. So this, this ideology was all over, all over the place. You didn't want negative people in the workforce, uh, and that even meant people who raised questions or who expressed doubts. Example about whether subprime mortgages were a good investment, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, whether the housing um, boom and was a bubble or not. People were fired for raising those issues in the build up to the economic meltdown of 2008.
2: And then there's also things like uh, under the Bush administration, Katrina and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, talk about President Bush as the sort of ultimate cheerleader. And it was interesting in your book, you point out the fact that cheerleading is a uniquely American phenomenon. And until you said that, I hadn't really thought about it. but It's true. He was a cheerleader. And then he continued that role as president.
1: I think he saw the presidency as, uh, as an extension of that role. I mean, he, he often said, you know, that he his role was to exude optimism, you know, and and to just be the optimist in chief. Uh, so we we'll we'll all remember the build up to the invasion of Iraq, uh, how easy that was going to be, the cakewalk, etc. Uh, I I don't think you know there was a, I, again I think there's a case where you had a, a bubble that, that the decision makers were in, where everything had to be positive, and kind of Lisa Rice said. Uh, To Bob Woodward, after um, you know, I don't think when she was in office anymore, but she said you couldn't, she couldn't raise doubts about Iraq uh, to President George W. Bush because he hated pessimism. Hmm. You know, that would be a doubt would be pessimism. Pessimism is a bad thing. You got You can't have that. And I think that something of that spirit must have been, must have kept people from seeing the grave threat in New Orleans, because there had been plenty of warnings. You know, there had been warnings. There had been a series in the uh, uh, Times-Picayune newspaper in New Orleans uh, just a, a year or two before Katrina uh, Scientific with American headway, and the levees were not going to hold if a Category 5 storm came along. And yet, you know, why worry about that? Bad things. In an atmosphere that everything, where you know, you just try to think of positive things happening.
2: I'm speaking with Barbara Ehrenreich about her latest book, Bright Sided: How the Relentless Promotion of Positive Thinking Has Undermined America. The cover features a very cheerful-looking blue balloon with a smiley face. Uh, printed on it. Uh, Barbara, so there's this aspect of how the, issue, the positive thinking is sort of a uniquely American uh, phenomenon, it seems, or at least uh, it starts here and has been spreading to other countries, and how it uh, really does affect our ability to judge uh, when bad things are about to happen. But then there's also the sort of insidious link with the, uh, with healthcare in America. Your own personal struggle with uh, cancer uh, has I think brought you up close and and, and center to the uh, positive thinking industry that also has uh, the philosophy that if you just think positively, the you know things like cancer will go away, uh, and that uh, the flip side of that, of course, is that if you do have cancer, maybe it's your fault or any other number of diseases. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that uh, how, how you came to experience that front and center.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would have even thought of this idea of positive thinking as an American ideology if I hadn't had this personal exposure eight years ago when I was being treated for breast cancer and, you know, reached out for support on the Internet and uh, as a, a good feminist, I thought that's what I should do, and you know, find other women who would share their experiences and help me through this. But what I found instead were these constant exhortations to be positive about the disease, uh, to be cheerful and optimistic. I was not in a positive mood about it. I don't know, <laughs> it seems odd I have to justify that. But mm-hmm. you know, for one thing, why do we have an epidemic of breast cancer?
0: Right. We don't
1: know what causes it. And for another thing, uh, and this relates to all cancers, um, why are the treatments so barbaric? I mean that. I mean, they're quite serious. They think chemotherapy is like a sledgehammer. It's extremely toxic to the body. Uh, So that kind of thing was in my mind. And I was being told by, you know, other women I encountered on the web, oh, you know, Barb, you won't get better unless you think positively. And that made me so mad, too, because it would seem to me like victim blaming, that if I didn't get better, it was my own fault. Uh, Which is the same thing in a way, you know, people who are laid off are told, well, if if you have a positive attitude, you'd get a job.
2: It seems the basis of the very uh, popular, best selling DVD and book, The Secret.
1: Oh, absolutely. The idea of that book, which is not, you know, unique to the author. In fact, all Rhonda Byrne, the author, did was gather together statements from a number of American, mostly North American, um, motivational speakers, and she just sort of assembled these into a collage. But there, the idea is, <clears throat> you can have anything just by concentrating your thoughts on it and sending vibrations into the universe to bring it to you.
2: <laughs> it's delusional. And in in your book, you uh, you cite this uh, bizarre other book called The Gift of Cancer: A Call to Awakening. That quote, "Cancer is your ticket to your real life." cancer is your passport to the life you were truly meant to live. I mean, is this uh, where? How American is this? Is this really something that you don't see very much in other countries?
1: Well, I, I think it's grown in other countries because we have been exporting this kind of ideology. It's very strong here, though. I mean, Lance Armstrong has said that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to him. Mm. And that's really putting a, a bright, a smiley face on this. But... Uh, the United States uh, has exported this in, through our corporate culture, which goes, of course, all over the world. Um, through academic positive psychology, through uh, the motivational speakers, or you know, some of these motivational speakers are very popular also in, in places like China now. Uh, so we're definitely um, sending this around the world. But it's it's crazy. How are we going to deal with a threat like cancer? if we treat cancer as a nice, warm, wonderful, fuzzy thing that happens to people.
2: With lots of pink ribbons.
1: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> and teddy bears, as you say mm-hmm. in your book. Uh, Barbara Ehrenreich, uh, do you do you think that, or, or in, in writing this book, do you see that the rise of this uh, industry of positive thinking and all of the things that go with it goes very much hand-in-hand hand with American corporate culture, which would much rather have us try to think our way positively out of all sorts of personal crises rather than, of course, um, take action, political action, to to remedy them.
1: Well, it certainly serves the corporate culture, and it has served it as a way of uh, suppressing dissent. Uh, uh, the biggest, uh, I think, source of uh, unrest would have been in, in recent years, is, is layoffs, which began long before the recession, just a steady churning out of white as well as blue collar workers. And I think that was, you know, any unrest that might have arisen from that was successfully contained uh, by these ideas. You didn't want to be a whiner, you know, just suck it up and put on a smiley face and go on to the next thing. But it finally gets corporations in terrible trouble. Because if you're, you know, when the top people, too, start believing that you can have anything you want and that everything is in your mind, really, well, I don't, you know, we don't want them managing our collective wealth. And that's what happened. We gave it to them, you know, to manage and to invest or do what they wanted with. And uh, they uh, screwed up on a scale of, what, $3 to $5 trillion lost because nobody could say, this is crazy. We you know, can't have this whole boom based on inflated real estate prices and subprime mortgages and debt, personal debt. Right.
2: Finally, in the last couple of minutes we have left, uh, there's also this insidious attempt to equate – uh, the power of positive thinking, um, with sort of scientific uh, something that has been scientifically proven. Um, can you talk about how? What are the some of the ways in which the industry of positive thinking uh, tries to gain legitimacy? Uh, and I'm sure I'm probably offending some of my listeners here, who um, you know who, who who have faith in, in this approach and, and in this way of of life.
1: Well, I'll give one example, Sonali, is the um, cancer case. You know, we, there, is, there are studies, big meta statistical studies now, um, showing that, you know, there isn't an effect of your attitude on whether you recover from breast cancer, lung cancer, and a number of other cancers that have been studied. So we can just forget that. And actually, that's so many people I talk to uh, as I go around I'm talking about bright sided. It will say it is a relief to know that that they were so oppressed when they were being treated for cancer or are being treated for cancer by the idea that it was all their fault that that they had like two illnesses, one the cancer and two the negative thinking that was keeping the cancer from going away
2: hmm.
1: you know and that is you know there are people now in the cancer care industry even uh, oncology nurses and so forth are saying you can't put that double burden. On people who are already suffering.
2: And I'm wondering if you think that the, the concept of positive thinking actually represses negative thoughts that it is natural for human beings to need to express, that in fact it is important for human beings to express the negativity when they feel it so that they don't keep it inside.
1: Yeah, but they won't express it if they are going to, if they know they're going to be greeted by somebody saying, oh, you're being so negative, why don't you right. do think positively. Right. I mean, we seem to have a huge empathy deficit in our culture where we don't want to listen to people's troubles and sufferings or, you know, the warning signs they see. We want to just shut that all out.
2: Because we're afraid that it'll get us down. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, yeah.
1: So I think we need, you know, pe- there are a lot of people who need to be listened to and even if we don't particularly want to hear what they have to tell us. Hmm.
2: Barbara Ehrenreich, well, it's been a pleasure listening to you and reading your book. I highly recommend it. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
2: Barbara Ehrenreich is the best-selling author of more than a dozen books, including Nickel and Dimed, Bait and Switch. She's a frequent contributor to Harper's and The Nation. Her latest book that we've just been discussing is called Bright-Sided, How the Relentless Promotion of Positive Thinking Has Undermined America.
0: You've been listening to an interview with the late, great Barbara Ehrenreich that I did in November 2009 when her book Bright Sided first came out. Barbara Ehrenreich passed away on September 1st at the age of 81. She leaves behind a towering legacy of journalism, critique and intellectual work especially on issues of economic and gender justice. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.